Welcome to Torat Imecha, Nachyomi with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Leah Herzog, and today we will be studying Sefer Amos, Perik Dalit, the Book of Amos, Chapter 4. In the last chapter, Amos addresses the people of Malchut Yisrael, the Northern Kingdom. In the first part of Perik Gimel, Chapter 3, Amos tells the people that there is an inexorable connection between an observable outcome, a reaction, and its underlying cause. One way we explain this connection is to say that if there is social injustice, then it is because the rich and powerful have brought it about. The other way we explain this connection is that if the Navi, the prophet, is speaking, it is because Hashem has revealed himself and commanded him to prophesy. The prophet can no more disobey the charge of Hashem than a sprung trap can close up on its own. The crimes that Amos delineates in chapter 3 revolve around social injustice, the crimes being Adam the Chavero between man and his fellow man. This is a theme that he will continue in Perik Dalit, chapter 4 and beyond. A core issue at that time was the tremendous disparity in the distribution of wealth and the vast chasm between rich and poor. At the end of chapter 3, when Amos delineates the dwellings that will be destroyed because of Hashem's anger, he lists summer palaces, winter palaces, and ivory palaces. The wealthy not only had the means to build, furnish, and decorate multiple homes, they were able to do so lavishly and with extraordinarily expensive, rare, and imported goods. Meanwhile, the poor walked around in ragged, stained clothing, as described in chapter 3, and were even without shoes. The poor could not climb out of their poverty because the courts did not make sure that the rich upheld their obligations. Halakha, Jewish law, has multiple commandments that are designed to support the poor. The financial laws include outright tzedakah, or charity, and giving loans, and paying workers immediately, not charging interest, and not holding clothing as collateral. Agricultural supports include the laws of peya and leket, leaving a corner of your field for the poor, and letting the poor glean dropped stalks of grain. One explanation for the Shemitah, the sabbatical year, as explained by Rabbi Benny Lau, is that the Shemitah year is a way to allow poor people to climb out of poverty and debt. Once every seven years, the poor have an opportunity to earn more money by collecting the hefker, or legally unowned foodstuffs, and selling them. The term of indentured servitude ends as well, and personal debts are often forgiven. It seems quite clear that these laws were not being observed in Amos's time. In Perik Dalit, chapter 4, Amos continues rebuking the rich for their arrogance and lack of compassion, and now he turns his attention to the women of Israel. He gets their attention with both the imagery and the sound of his words. Shim'u hadavar hazeh parot habashan asher behar shomron haoshkot dalim harotzot evyonim 
האומרות לאדוניהם, הביאה ונשתה. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, on the hills of Samaria, who defraud the poor, who rob the needy, and who say to your husbands, Come along and let's carouse. As in chapter 3, Amos begins this chapter with the word Shim'u, which doesn't just mean hear, it means pay attention, listen, understand what's really going on. This entire pasuk, or verse, is addressed to the women. The women are called cows of Bashan for several reasons. The area of Bashan, which is actually on the east side of the Jordan River, is especially fertile and lush. It is this area that the tribes of Ruvain, Gad, and half of Manasseh requested to stay in after it was conquered so that they could grow their herds. The land is prime for grazing, and the cattle that live there are especially large, produce excellent beef, and are therefore very expensive. This kind of cattle is a metaphor for great material luxury. They are also a symbol of power, and Rashi explains that these women, the cows of the Bashan, are the wives of the officers, the leadership, and the wealthy. They are the elite. On the surface, the moniker may even seem as a compliment. However, what it is really getting at is overindulgence and arrogance. These women weren't from the Bashan. They were actually from the Shomron. The Shomron area of Israel was often hit by drought or riven by battles, and it is not easy to graze cattle or grow crops in the rocky soil. So these wealthy women described here are incongruous. Their wealth is a perversion of nature as well of, of justice. The Malbim explains why this verse is so awful. If the women, who are usually the compassionate and merciful ones, are brazenly ignoring the poor and even oppressing them, what does that say about their husbands? The punishments are delineated immediately. In Psukim Bet and Gimel, verses 2 and 3, Amos predicts that these women, so used to wealth, will be exiled and carted off in fishing dinghies, and that is if they aren't killed, thrown into piles of corpses, or worse. Next, Amos addresses the people who come to the various temples to offer korbanot, sacrifices, and tithes. Bo ubeit el, upishu hagilgal, harbu lepesha vehaviu laboker, zivchechem lishloshet yamim maasrotechem. Come to Beit el and transgress, to Gilgal and transgress even more. Present your sacrifices the next morning and your tithes on the third day. Vikater machmets toda, vikiru nidvot. Hashmi'u ki kein ahavtem b'nei Yisrael, ne'um Hashem Elohim. And burn a thank offering of leavened bread, and proclaim freewill offerings loudly. For you love that sort of thing, O Israelites, declared my Lord Hashem. This theme of ritual devoid of true connection to Hashem is a leitmotif found throughout Sifrei Nevi'im, the books of the Prophets. 
people fervently believed that offering sacrifices and performing other temple-based rituals were what God wanted, and that these offerings and rituals would appease him. Yeshayahu, a contemporary of Amos, famously tells the people that Hashem views them as trampling his house and doesn't want to see them on Shabbat or Rosh Chodesh, the new moon, or on the holidays. Amos's tone in these verses is dripping with irony and mockery as he tells the people, Sure, come to Beit El and do your service. You want to, you think it is desirable, but Hashem doesn't want this, and it won't appease him, and you will be punished. Ritual devoid of devotion, service devoid from morality, is meaningless at best, and disgusts Hashem at worst. The chapter continues with Amos's detailing the punishment that Hashem has visited upon B'nai Yisrael in an effort to wake them up and get them to repent or do tshuva, but to no avail. There was drought and pestilence, war and destruction that equaled the overturning of Sodom, the lush produce of the land, grapes and olives and dates, withered, and in a tragically ironic twist, Amos compares their punishments to those suffered by the Egyptian at the time of the Exodus. These are exactly the punishments that Hashem promised not to visit upon us if we followed His ways and walked in His Torah. Shalachti bachem dever bederech mitzrayim haradti bacherev bachurechem im shevi susechem ve'a'ale ba'esh machanechem ube'apchem ve'lo shavtem adi ne'um Hashem. I sent against you plagues in the manner of Egypt. I slew your young men with the sword. Together with your captured horses, I made the stench of your armies rise in my very nostrils. Yet you did not turn back to me, declares the Lord. In this section, Amos again uses the rhetorical device of repetition. After each horrific punishment, Hashem waits in vain for the people to return to him, and each time, velo shavtem adi, neum Hashem, but you did not return to me, says Hashem. This is a tone that is also found in Hosea, which we have already studied. Hashem is waiting and waiting for us to return to him, sending warning after warning, offering chance after chance. When Hashem is the loving husband, the caring father, or the benevolent king, B'nai Yisrael have ignored or outright rejected him. And through the words of his prophets, we can both hear and feel his growing sense of betrayal, pain, and fury. And in Pasuk Yudbet, verse 12, the chilling lines which Amos could have either screamed or whispered, Lachain, Ko e'eselecha Yisrael, ekev kizot e'eselecha, hakon likrat elohecha Yisrael. Therefore this I will do to you, Israel. Because of all of this, I will do it to you. Prepare to meet your God, Israel. Or, more colloquially, the jig is up. Prepare to meet 
your maker. And yet, the chapter doesn't end there. Here is the last verse. Ki hinei yotzer harim uborei ruach umagid la'adam ma siho oseh shachar efa vederech albamte aretz Hashem elokei tzvaot shemo. Behold, he who formed the mountains and created the wind and has told man what his wish is, who turns back darkness into daybreak and treads upon the high places of the earth. His name is Hashem, the God of hosts. This verse is fascinating in its duality. On the one hand, it is ominous. The maker they are about to meet is the omnipotent one, and he is about to show how powerful he is. And yet, the language of this verse is also poignantly reminiscent of psalms and of prayer. And as the Malbim reads it, we are being urged, begged to daven, to apologize, to appease, and to repent. We are preparing to speak and meet our Creator before it is finally too late. Thank you for studying together Le'ilui Nishmat Riva Schwab Rivka Bat Alexander Sender.